Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm having so much more fun now. I have let them show me how to live their way. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 249. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey, kids. Have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way-out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. Fifty-two pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last you remember them from your childhood half for the friendly ghost richie rich hot stuff baby hooey sad sack and little audrey you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Bear Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. Hey, hey, it's Charles Rosenay from the Monkey's Interview Show here on Monkey Mania Radio. So proud to announce the release of a brand new book called Not Just Happy Together, The Turtles from A to Z. That's right, the other band besides our monkeys who should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, The Turtles, a great new book that's a discography. It's got interviews, it's got reviews, it's got everything you might want to read about. 
if you're a 60s fan like I am and love the Beatles and the Monkees and the Turtles, not just Happy Together has a front cover and a back cover by Henry Diltz, a forward by Gary Puckett, and it's published by Genius Music Books, an imprint of Genius Book Publishing, now available from www.notjusthappytogether.com. Hope you pick it up. I know you're going to love it and uh, enjoy all the stuff about the Turtles. Thank you for listening to Monkey Mania Radio. Hey, hey. In Fun Ideas Productions news, Not Just Happy Together, The Turtles from A to Z, AM Radio to Zappa, is now available from Genius Publishing. You can order directly from GeniusBookPublishing.com or from Amazon. Stars of Walt Disney Productions and Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game, and the revised and updated Looking for the Good Times Monkeys book are all still available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through Bear Manor Media. Unconditionally Mad is still being formatted and should see publication in 2024. I'm currently working on an article about Mr. Weatherby and my TV animation book and another monkey's book and a book on Marvel's Crazy Magazine. More on these later. On today's show, we have a television writer who has written My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. Here she is, Shelley Herman. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today I have a special guest. She is an author and a lot of other things that she talks about in her new book called My Peacock Tale. Her name is Shelley Herman. How are you? I'm glad you think I'm something fun. <laughs> so I know where you hailed from in the past because you said you grew up in Aurora, Agora and calabasas <laughs> at the time at the time yeah. when both of those areas were it was like a two-lane highway to get there it was a very <laughs> rural area it's about 30 miles outside of los angeles wow. and now it's a very you know foo-foo area so where do you hail from now same area or somewhere else <laughs> um i'm living a little closer to town now i'm in an area uh named valley village which is the fancy pants name for north hollywood Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um you did something that me uh as uh, similar interests was uh kind of wanted to do, but I was I grew up in Northern California and I didn't grow up in Southern California. So, you know, it's just pipe dreams to be a page for NBC and you know, working for the big studios i did work for a tv station in san francisco but anyway um was that your goal growing up is i want to be on tv or work in tv or be involved with tv or movies or entertainment or what i always wanted to be involved in the entertainment industry i i was very lucky because at agora high school i was when i was there i was a theater geek and uh, we we had a lot of fun and we we colored outside the lines a lot uh, and and we're very creative. It was it was encouraged. So um, I I was very lucky that a group of us went to a taping of the Midnight Special, which was a big deal at the time, a late night rock concert show that was on NBC. Mm -hmm. And I saw these people standing around wearing these ugly polyester uniforms who were getting paid to listen to rock and roll music all day. <laughs> and at that point, the only thing I had on my resume was volunteering at a local theater in our community. And I thought, well, gee, I've got volunteer experience ushering. I could get a job as a page. <laughs> and um, as you know, because it's a, one of those aspirational jobs for a lot of people, it's 
it's very difficult to get in. Um, they say that it's easier to get into Harvard than it is to be a page <laughs> at NBC. Uh, but I was very lucky because, um, and I detail it in the first chapter of uh, my Peacock Tale Secrets of an NBC page. Uh, I was working at Sears and a bunch of girls and I got together and one of the girls got free tickets to see Elvis in Las Vegas. <laughs> so um, we all went there, had this great girl road trip. And one of the girl who got us the tickets um, was saying, um, you know, so what do you want to do after Sears? You know, because I would hope there would be life after Sears. <laughs> and I said, I wanted to be a page at NBC. And she said, well, my mom's best friend is working in compliance and practices. And those are the people that make sure the game shows are on the up and up. Right. And I thought, well, that's great. And, you know, a lot of people say they're going to do things for you and they don't always come through. <laughs> but sure enough, Jean Messerschmidt was her name. She came into Sears to see me in the junior bazaar department, <laughs> um, hanging up clothes on racks. And we chatted a bit. Two weeks later, I had the job. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that that in, as it were, helped the situation or? It couldn't have hoit. Um, because I had not even <laughs> applied for a job at NBC at that point, because mm -hmm. at, at the, the rules presently are you have to at least have your Bachelor of Science degree or Bachelor of Arts degree. And now online, they make you do like a two minute video and then they'll interview you in a forum such as this. And then if they're really, really interested in hiring you, which would be either in Los Angeles or New York, they'll fly you there mm -hmm. on their nickel. And put you up at a hotel so they can interview you in person. So that's mm -hmm. how determined they are to get good people because the the page program has been in existence for 90 years. And it was it was set up as kind of an executive training program, meaning mm -hmm. it was all guys back in the day. <laughs> and uh and and some of those guys were were Regis Philbin, Gene Rayburn, mm -hmm. Chuck Barris, um, some actors like Richard Benjamin, newsmen like Hugh Downs. Um, mm -hmm. So it really was a great way to get your foot in the door. So mm -hmm. um, I encourage anybody who's interested in knowing more about it to go to the um, the NBC page website and, and learn about it, because it might take a couple of months, maybe a year to get in. But but try to get in. OK, um, now I know what it is, because I as I said before the show, I have broadcasting degree and I knew about such things. But to the layman out there, layperson out there, <laughs> uh, what does a page do? What what are the responsibilities? At least in, when you were one, it might have changed over the years. Well, it has changed sadly <laughs> because where I once worked at three thousand West Alameda in Burbank, home to Johnny Carson. Midnight Special, Hollywood Squares, Sanford and San Chico and the Man, Days of Our Lives, on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. NBC doesn't own that facility anymore. Oh. But when I worked there, <laughs> um, and this is the way it runs in New York as well, um, the jobs of the pages, you have 18 months. And in that time, you give tours of the facility mm. and you usher the TV shows and then when they know that you can walk and chew gum at the same time, they actually kind of give you better assignments. Um, some of the really fun ones are uh, taking limousines to the airport to greet some of the NBC talent or executives. And then like 
you've got them in the car. And so if you want to ask them questions and do things, you've got a really good opportunity. I mean, what's a couple of my page friends, and it's a it's a sweet chapter in the book. Um, they they got to be with Gilda Radner. Mm. And and she wrote a sweet little letter. It's in the book too, but they mm -hmm. had an adventure because you're supposed to like in in this case of this one, they were supposed to take Gilda to the airport, but she had about four hours before she had to get to her flight. So my friend Pete and two of the women pages um, escorted Gilda all around Hollywood because she'd never been to Hollywood before. So they went to the Chinese theater and Griffith Park and into Westwood. She she ate donuts and falafels and got the crumbs all over her. She met her fiance's parents. She didn't wind up marrying the guy, but they were in the <laughs> Fairfax area. And sure enough, as they were driving her to get to her airplane, uh, Pete's car ran out of gas. <laughs> and And I mean, they were like totally freaking out. Mm -hmm. And so Pete, being the gentleman that he is, he sat behind the steering wheel of the car and had the two page girls and Gilda pushing the car <laughs> to the gas station. Wow. And you know, he, he he saw his career flash before his eyes. But it turns out that that Gilda wrote that lovely thank you note that um, just shows you how wonderful she was and how grateful she was to the pages. But, you know, the pages sometimes had to, you know, I, I, I say we were ambassadors. <laughs> um, but we had to cover up some things sometimes that talent did, like on a New Year's Eve, uh, we'd have to pick people up to take them to the Rose Parade, and some of them um, were, were not feeling well after partying <laughs> a little too much. Mm -hmm. um, I had one instance where I was taking one of the talent to the airport, and on the way there, he wanted to stop by Jack's house on Mulholland Drive <laughs> uh, to get a little uh, Peruvian marching powder. <laughs> and um, I just said, no, 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 we're not stopping. And I mean, I would have loved to have met Jack Nicholson, but I just thought that's all I need is to get this guy on the plane and he's carrying cocaine or something. I just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so we had a lot of it. I mean, there's one, I haven't told this one on, on any podcast before, but okay. one of the pages um, went to pick up uh, Chuck Woolery, who used to be the uh, host of Wheel of Fortune before right. Pat Sajak took it over. <laughs> and... Uh, Dinah's in the in the limo, pulls up to his house, and his wife, who was actress Joanne Flug at the time, mm. is throwing all of his stuff out on the front <laughs> lawn, and she's cussing at him, and 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 Chuck jumps in the limo, and he says to the you know the limo driver, "Step on it," and turns yeah. to my friend Dinah and says, "You didn't see any of this." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of experiences, I mean, good experiences as well as weird mm -hmm. ones. Now you said it uh, lasts approximately eighteen months. So, what is the goal after it's all done? I mean, it's like, are you trying to become a manager of NBC, let's say, or uh, is it just good resume material, or you know, what what does it uh, lead you to do? If you, me personally, I was hoping to get into management. I would like to have gone on to work in development. Uh, whether it was prime time or daytime, I was very interested in that because I come from a background primarily being a writer, although mm -hmm. I've worked on camera quite a bit. Um, it was always the writing that seemed to be the thing that was like, oh, okay, you can write. Well, why don't you say your own words and go get on camera? But mm -hmm. um, another story from the book, um, <laughs> at the time, Dick Ebersole 
was like the young wunderkind executive. He and Lorne Michaels are the people that got Saturday Night Live started. And I thought if I met Dick Ebersol, man, that's it. I'd be in, you know, because I, 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 I share his vision of NBC. Mm-hmm. And his secretary would not set an appointment for me to meet him. And I mean, part of the thing of a page, you're supposed to network with people and try to, you know, get the next rung of the ladder up, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm driving home very late one night from work and listening to talk radio. And they say, and our next guest is Dick Ebersol. <laughs> well, I pull off the road. It was raining. And I, I pulled into a shell station and they had a payphone there. <laughs> I kept shoving quarters into this payphone. And the call screener says, what do you want to talk to Dick Ebersol about? And I was like, oh, I want to ask something about Saturday Night Live. And they went, okay. <laughs> and so they put me on and they say, okay, caller, what would you like to ask Dick Ebersol? And I said, Hi, my name is Shelley Herman, and I'm a page at NBC Burbank, and I've been trying to get an appointment to see you so that I can talk to you so that I could work with you someday. So will you promise me on the air right here, right now, that you'll make an appointment to see me? And he said, yeah. yes. Oh. <laughs> and did anything good come out of that appointment, or did he? <laughs> yes and no. Okay. <laughs> uh, because the first thing he said was, my advice to you is to leave NBC. Wow. And it's like, I just got here, you know? And he said that they would value me more if I had outside experience and was able to bring that to NBC. So I had the same issue, but anyway, I can tell that later. <laughs> but somebody blew you off that way too? Well, yes. Um, I'll tell my story quickly. It's like, uh, so I uh, did not grow up in Southern California. I did live there a couple of years when I was a kid, but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Got a job at KBHK TV 44 out of college. And I wanted to keep going up the ranks and, you know, in the business side of things. And at one point, I wanted to be a sales rep. And they were paid a lot of money back in those days. Yeah. And uh, the guy that was a sales manager, he liked me and everything. But he says, no, leave. And I go, what? He says, leave. Go work at Channel 20. That was one of the local stations or Channel 2 or somewhere else and then come back. And I go, if I leave, I don't want to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be working over there. He goes, well, I don't care. You need more experience. It sounds like the same situation. And like it boggled my mind. It's like, you have me here. You know, it's like. Yeah, I I felt the same way with with Ebersol. It's like, hey, I'm young and hungry and stupid enough to, you know, do this. Train me, teach me, mentor me. I'll be I'll be your person. But I guess a lot of people wanted to be his person that way. Yeah. Uh, they want you to work for it anyway. Well, um, and and as I've learned, if you work for free, you can work all the time. So I I was really willing to you know put in the long hours and and you know do all the grunt work, but yeah. it just wasn't my time yet. That was one of my que- questions I was going to ask: is uh, do they pay you as a page, or is it just like perks and stuff like that? Or I made that... a buck ninety an hour. Thank you Woo-hoo! very much. <laughs> Well, yes. it's better than nothing. <laughs> and and when I left, it had gone up to two twenty five. And the uh-huh. reason I remember it is because when I moved into my first apartment, it was two hundred twenty five dollars a month. So that's how I remember that figure. Hmm. And what years were you there? Based on the picture, it looks like early seventies, mid seventies, roughly. I began there June twenty first, nineteen seventy six, hmm. the longest day. 
And I stayed on a little bit longer than 18 months because in the middle of my pagedom, um, I broke my foot. So I couldn't give tours or usher the TV shows. So they put me in the story department Mm -hmm. where I was reading scripts and novels and memoirs and things to see if any of these projects might be something good uh, to turn into TV movies for NBC. Mm. So I might have toured NBC when you were a page. I <laughs> deny everything I said. <laughs> because I mean, we, we sometime did we, we did lie a little bit. I have to admit that. <laughs> At some point in the late 70s, um, my family went to the NBC tour because I wanted to go. And, you know, but I have no idea who led the tour. It could have been you for all I know. But um... Did you see any shows while you were there? No, but uh, it was during the day and everything was like, you know, not in production at that moment. But what what ex- interested me, you know, is, and I'm sure everybody has said similar things to this once they see it. It's like, uh, so you go to the Tonight Show set and on TV it looked huge. You know, you got Johnny over here and the drape here and the band over here. And when you're in there, it's like, Johnny's table, the drape and the band <laughs> like so tiny. And then um, they weren't uh, filming Hollywood Squares that week or that time of the year. It might have been in the summer. This is probably why everybody, everything was shut down. I don't even remember what time of year it was. But um, and I said, wow, the, the Hollywood Squares are tiny. <laughs> it's <laughs> like there's no headroom if you're a tall person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And they were really hot to sit in those little squares too because yeah. um, each of those squares were individually lit mm-hmm. and they had to get like little portable fans at a certain point because mm. people in the early days were starting to pass out. <laughs> you, had, you had your light in your square and then you had the studio lights also. Yeah. No, there was yeah. an old. There's an old story that that we would tell on the tour, um, and 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 as you can vouch for the fact, the Hollywood Square set was a giant tic tac toe board. Right. And um, there's some spiral staircases that led up to it, mm-hmm. but um, rickety is uh, probably the best word to describe it. Um, it wasn't as grandiose as it looks on television. Yeah. And um, on stage four, where they usually taped. Hollywood Squares, a long time ago, there had been a pool that had been built there for Esther Williams. Oh, yeah. That was one, you know, that was one of those things like if you could go into Studio Four, you wouldn't see where they had a pool because now there's a floor over it. But people still seem fascinated. (laughs) And um, the 1971 earthquakes were starting to happen, uh, Mm -hmm. February of 71. And uh, sure enough, they were in the middle of taping one afternoon and there was a big aftershock. (laughs) <laughs> and man, those those people couldn't get out of that fast enough because they all knew this whole thing could collapse into the swimming pool. <laughs> wow, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it it wasn't set up like I said. It was just sitting there like off to the side. Like I said, it's probably summer hiatus, and so they just had it off to the side so you could stand next to it. And it's like you go, wow, this thing's short. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the third thing I remember uh, from that tour is uh i used to be a big fan of the gong show back in those days and um the the gentleman i forget his real name but uh he he played gene gene the dancing machine on the show and then i i i saw him sweeping up and i said oh my god he's just sweeping up he's not like 
anybody you know and it's like gene was gene was a maintenance guy yeah um i have to i'm I'm going to run off here for two seconds okay because i'm going to i don't know if you're aware of this and i would love for you to meet my i don't know if does this show up backwards on your screen no it says gong this book so it looks fine my friend adam needif just wrote this book oh i'm aware of him i've never interviewed him but okay adam's a adam's a really good friend and um, he's actually going to moderate a panel for me on um, February 10th. Mm-hmm. He'll have moderated it. Yeah. And um, he, uh, Gene was a maintenance guy. And a lot of times if the, if the gong show acts were, if they gonged a whole bunch of people, they had leftover time. Right. Um, they'd have to figure out something to do. And, and Chuck would often throw many of us from NBC on stage <laughs> to, to do something silly to kill time. Uh-huh. And uh, Gene's nickname before he became Gene Gene the Dancing Machine was Hat because mm. he always wore that. And he did, oh, his, yeah, yeah. did yeah. his little shuffle dance. Um, <laughs> Chuck pulled me on stage once. Um, I was giving it to, well, I have to back it up a little bit. But I probably saw you because I, I, Gong Show was a show I did not miss <laughs> at, at that well, age. Here, so here I probably saw everything. It's yeah. an Adam's book. I don't know how well. And I probably need this book. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's me shaking hands with Chuck. Okay, it's in Adam's book. I it's I have another picture in my book too, but I gave him this picture. But mm-hmm. I'm giving a tour once, and one of the pages comes up to me and says, "Quick, Chuck Barris needs you. Quick, get over to stage four. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, what did I what did I do wrong?" Was my first thought. And I, I quick went over there, mm-hmm. and he he had he they he was standing backstage behind the curtain, and he said just stand here and walk out when the curtain comes up you'll know what to do <laughs> so i was standing with several other women who worked at nbc um people that were you know sound women painting the sets you know people that were you know, non-traditional jobs i would say for mm-hmm. women to have so the curtain comes up and we all walk out and chuck is like here the women from nbc girls introduce yourselves and he and we all shook hands with each other so that was the bit but i had known chuck barris because in 1972 when i was still in high school i was a contestant on the dating game i was gonna ask you about that which and i didn't even think about that i was like oh yeah chuck barris same guy who created that show and newlywed game and all those other ones but yeah um he was was like we're both born in philly uh-huh. I, he had a daughter, Della, at the time, who was, I think she was like 12 or 13. And we kind of looked similar to one another. Mm-hmm. And he was just a big love. He was as as goofy and wacky. I hate to destroy your illusions, but he was a, a very smart, nice man who I adored. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he very creative. Um, a, a lot of people just think of him as trashy TV. But look at all these <laughs> years later, we're still talking about him. Well, what's the well? What's the real Chuck Barris? I mean, it's like I always thought he kind of was himself on the Gong Show, but you know, sometimes people aren't. So, was he like that, or was he more serious, or was he, you know, like later he had uh, like that? Uh, there's a book and movie like he said he was working with the FBI or something like that. You know, I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> um, I'll tell you. Um, he was um he he was a very intelligent man okay. he um in addition to all of his game shows and stuff uh, you might not know this he wrote the uh 
the Freddie Boom Boom Cannon song, Palisades Park. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, he was good friends with Dick Clark. Both of them started out in Philadelphia. But when um, he was developing other game show ideas, he wasn't goofy Chuck. He was like laser focused okay. on, okay, this element works. That element doesn't work. Oh, let's try that again. He 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 would roll up his sleeves and and really work on things. <laughs> uh, for the Gong Show, uh, I would sit in on on the on the audition sometimes because while I wasn't I I was on the show twice. I didn't continue my friendships with the guys that I won on the show, but I started dating somebody on the staff for Chuck Barris's company, <laughs> and and this will make you pee green with envy. Um, he and I went to see a live version of the Rocky Horror Show at the Roxy Theater. Wow. <laughs> on the Sunset Strip with Tim Curry. Hello. Is this so, No, this was a, was this before or after the movie came out? Way before the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this would have been 73. Okay. Okay. We went. Okay. So um so so Vince would invite me down to watch some of the auditions sometimes and I would see Chuck working with the people some of whom were very very good and he would give them little tips on you know what if you just tried this and maybe goose it a little bit yeah you've got a real shot at the show mm -hmm. conversely there might be people who came in who were a little bit destitute and maybe <laughs> just needed a little money to be on the show yeah. and he would help them be goofier with their mm -hmm. acts mm -hmm. um you know, so he was hosting, he's producing in his head, he's writing. Um he 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 could do it all, and there's no reason why we don't understand how it could only last for so long because that flame burned fast and burned hot. Right. But I mean, it is funny that the gong show, and I should talk to Adam about this, but um I'll give you, know. you his contact information. Okay, very good. I wrote it down his name too, because I said, Oh, he's written other game show books, right? Uh match game and stuff like that. Okay. So I match just game, he wrote, Oh, can have uh, this will be a teaser for your for your listeners. Ask him about his Alan Ludden book. Okay. And how he sent it to Betty White and how he got it back. It's a great story. Okay. <laughs> All great right. Great story. But the the what was I going to say about uh, Gong Show? Uh, 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 oh, oh, it was just that you know, as silly as it was, you know, like uh, Danny Elfman got to start with the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, <laughs> and uh, Pee Wee Herman got to start there. I think you know, and different we odd odd. Different I think people. he was on nine different times. Probably. The one I remember is he was dressed as an American Indian, you know, just, you know, feather garb and everything. But I don't remember see, what he did. There, yeah. were, there were certain people like the unknown comic, Murray Langston. Yeah, that's right. And and Paul Rubens, yeah. um, who were professional entertainers. Mm -hmm. But because they were members of, at the time, it was just the AFTRA Performers mm -hmm. Union. And now they've merged with Screen Actors Guild. Right. But Chuck wanted to use the professionals because he knew he could get a good performance out of them. But not only would they get paid for their appearances on the show, when the show went into reruns, they got more money for residuals also. Hmm. So Chuck was helping these people out a lot too. Hmm. So now you, you mentioned the dating game and I will say this. Um, I don't have a copy of your book. I need to get a copy of it but at some point. But I did look on your website and you had like a two minute video 
that shows like pictures and other things from the book, which is where I got most of my information. So I did see that you were on the dating game and everything like that. And you mentioned Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> I don't know if you were on any other game shows. You didn't mention them, but no, I wrote yeah. for Supermarket Sweep. Oh, okay. No, I. Um, but but going a... back to the going back to the dating game. So that was that your first TV appearance. And if so, or even if not, how did you get on a show like Dating Game? <laughs> well, I, again, back to Agora High School, mm -hmm. um, I was 17. So mm -hmm. I was a, I was a, um, so a junior, probably a junior at the time, but some of the older kids were trying out for the Dating Game. And I thought, well, if they're going to do it, I, why don't I try to do it too? I, I'd like to go on a vacation. Mm -hmm. So I went down to, uh, they, they had their offices on Vine Street in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and they had it set up in such a way that um, maybe about 12 girls at a time would sit on one side, and they'd have a curtain, and then like 12 guys would sit on the other side, and one of the producers of the dating game would act as the host and kind of go round robin, and we'd ask questions that we made up ourselves. Uh and they would, you know, do like, uh, you know, it was, if anything, it was like a personality test. And they would see if we looked like we were paying attention <laughs> and if we were laughing at the right times. And, you know, that was simple for me. <laughs> and plus, I think I had hair down to my butt at the time and I looked hot. So, <laughs> so uh, that didn't hurt either. <laughs> so did you have to be anybody or just just be personable i guess as the is as a contestant on that show or whatever <laughs> both times i did it i did a daytime and the nighttime version uh -huh. they really wanted us to be ourselves and once i was selected to be on the show i would sit down with the writers and they would craft questions that would somehow show something about my personality so um, one of the things was I was a salad bar hostess at a restaurant. So I was <laughs> always filling up all of the vegetables and everything for the salad. So they wrote a salad bar question. I think they wrote a question about roller skating because I like to roller skate back then. Because mm -hmm. everybody was roller skating back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, they really wanted that out of. Okay. I, I wasn't um, a hired hand at that point. Mm. Uh, they just wanted real, real people. Okay. I was just always curious about that because you know, I watched it as a kid, but I didn't know how it worked. And then years later, you find out certain celebrities got their start on the show kind of as a springboard. And I go, well, that's kind of interesting. Now, the other question about the show is, were you required to go on the date? I mean, if you really thought that the guy was a dog or something, did you still have to go on the <laughs> date? <laughs> um, both of the men that I won <laughs> uh, we're we're very nice guys. Um, uh, the first trip I won was to San Diego, which is about a two hour drive from my house. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I think they flew us down there. Mm -hmm. So that was like, ooh. And um, the guy wasn't that thrilled because his parents had a vacation home near there. So it wasn't <laughs> a big deal oh, for well. him. Uh, <laughs> this, the second trip I won uh, was to the Bahamas. Hmm. And um I won the guy and gave him a big hug and I whispered in his ear, where are the Bahamas? I had no idea. <laughs> I just, my, my, my fear at the time was that I'd have to get a passport and I didn't have enough money to get a passport. And you know, I was like, so I was glad I didn't need a passport at the time to get, go to the mm. Bahamas. Mm. And um, 
he kind of took off and was hanging with a lot of other people at the time. And I, I, I learned to scuba dive. I, I was, I, I met some people that up until about 10 years ago, we were exchanging Christmas cards. It was, it worked out really nice for me to be on the trip, except I had a chaperone because I was 18 years old uh, until the, any woman under 21 had to have a female chaperone who would sleep in the same room for their insurance purposes. Mm -hmm. And they gave me somebody's old grandma as a chaperone. <laughs> and she was very drunk most of the time. <laughs> and when she slept in the twin bed next to me, she snored horribly. <laughs> and uh, so one night I decided I'd go sleep out on the balcony. And then there was like lightning and thunder. And I thought, well, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. So I, I slept in the closet. I, I got the pillows and the blankets and I closed the closet door. And it's the only way I could sleep for a couple nights. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> so you mentioned, <laughs> I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, but you sure. mentioned a uh, supermarket uh, sweepstake. You said you supermarket were a writer sweep. on it? Yeah. Supermarket sweep. Yeah. Um, how did that, how did you get that gig? <laughs> for people who know the game show world uh there was a, a man who was a very close friend of my husband's and mine named fred wasbrock mm. and fred has written several of these encyclopedia of game show books uh was uh, agent to adam west um a lot of what he liked to call the icons of television meaning the older people who had a hard time getting jobs right and he was uh kind of like Broadway Danny Rose that way. He loved these guys. <laughs> he helped get them work. Uh, and uh, so Fred and I both had this love of game shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, can I try to represent you and be your agent? And I was like, okay, sure. So he introduced me to Al Howard, who created mm -hmm. Supermarket Sweep. And um, I purposefully went in, I was wearing a black top and I wore a big skirt that had food all over it. <laughs> Not that I ate the food, but it was pictures of food all over it and uh, proceeded to tell him uh, how fabulous I was. And I had good energy. Mm -hmm. And because Al and Fred got along, they gave me a shot at doing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you say like, oh, people write game shows. Ooh. But um, <laughs> we had to write all the puzzles mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show that would give people the time that they would accumulate so they could run around the grocery store right. uh, for the bonus round. Mm -hmm. And then after they would do the bonus round, an editor would cut that um, so, that, so that then I would get the tape of that bonus round when it was fully edited. And then I would have to write, kind of like if you're doing a horse race, uh, oh, and, you know, okay. and so-and-so is coming around here and they bent down and, oh, when he fell and, you know, so I had to write like I was- wow. Stand I never, I never knew that was written. <laughs> yeah, that was all written. Never really thought about it, you know. So hey, what a what a great gig. <laughs> well, it was a great gig, and it was also the gig where I was there during nine eleven, mm. and like so many people, I stayed home that morning, mm -hmm. and I get a call from Al Howard. Where are you? Why aren't you at work? <laughs> and and one of the things they said specifically was. Um, all non-essential personnel at any media outlet should stay home because they were afraid that those would be targets for the terrorists. Right. 
and he's get to work. Come, <laughs> we've got to write these sweeps. And, uh, and, and every five minutes over the loudspeaker at NBC, and we shot it at NBC in Burbank. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all non-essential personnel, please leave the facility immediately. <laughs> and I'm, he bent down to pick up Bertoli olive oil and came up with, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> good times, good mm-hmm. times. Um, then going back to your little video, uh, there's um, one thing that kind of caught my eye. It's another dating thing. You were Eric Estrada's date. How did what was that circumstance, and what caused that? <laughs> Well, that was one of my jobs as a page. Okay. No, not to be his date. No. <laughs> but um, I picked Eric up at his apartment, little little apartment in the valley. He was very excited to be in the limousine and took him to Universal Studios. And he was dressed in his street clothes in the picture that you're referencing, which people can go to my website, mypeacocktail.com, to see the picture that we're speaking of. And he was wearing his regular clothes and I was wearing a t-shirt and it it said on the t-shirt, like NBC affiliate relations or something. So -hmm. they knew I was official. So it looked like we were just like in normal street wear. Mm -hmm. And Eric gets into the little green room area before meeting the press, because this is when chips premiered Mm -hmm. and they said to him, um, and here's your chips uniform to wear so that you can meet the press. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to wear that. I'm going to wear my own clothes. I That's how I want to meet the press. I want to have them see me, <laughs> not the character. And meanwhile, Larry Wilcox walks in and he's already wearing his uniform. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, uh, well, then Larry can go meet the press if you don't want to do this. So Eric put on his uniform and looked very dashing in it. So I, I when they went off, did their press thing, took him in the limousine home. And my sister's working like at a local drugstore. This is several months later. And somebody's thumbing through it and says, do you have a sister named Shelly? <laughs> yeah. Did you know she's dating Eric Estrada? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and it said I was one of his favorite dates in like Tiger Beat magazine or something. And I just, <laughs> so my sister calls me and she says, I can't believe you didn't, you didn't tell me you were dating Eric Estrada. I went, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so it was it was good for a few laughs okay i was like whoa that's a, that's a switch whatever um let's see you mentioned a few other people so i'll kind of uh rattle moth that are in the video um obvious the cover johnny carson uh were you close with him did you ever i think there's a photo of you on the cover there you're you're is he doing yeah. the stump the band or what was he doing? At That's that it. We were doing stump the band. Okay. All right. And that was, um, that was something that would occur. Sometimes it had been planned. And sometimes if uh, a guest was stuck in traffic or canceled at the last minute, for some reason, maybe their flight didn't come in or something and they mm-hmm. needed to fill a little bit of time, mm-hmm. they would do stump the band. Mm-hmm. So the people who were the talent coordinators on the show would go out on the line of people waiting to come in to see the show and go, hey, does anybody have a silly song? And then we would purposefully sit them down in in the front area there oh, okay. uh, so that Johnny could pick them. And there and there'd be the talent coordinators off off camera going like, you know, and, and guiding him to what the better songs were. Hmm. So if you were the page 
working that day who had the most seniority uh, on that crew, then you're the one that got selected to be on the show. But one of the things okay. they would tell us, if you're if you if you're looking at the picture, they would say, "Stand one step above Johnny, uh -huh. and um, you know, try not to get in the way." Well, <laughs> you know that that's like putting a, a flag in front of a bull for me. And uh, I had my page friends standing off camera, and they were saying, you know, the same thing about go to the left a little bit, you know, you, you get you step up one more, and we can see you better on camera. Because back in the day, we didn't have videotape machines, mm -hmm. so this was going to be my shot at being on the Tonight Show. Right. And uh, and my my friend Paul Drinkwater took that photo. He was a staff photographer. Johnny signed it, mm -hmm. and as soon as the show was over, because they would tape at five thirty every day. Uh, they'd either be out at 6.30 for the 60-minute version, or when they were doing 90-minute, they'd be out at 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as it was over, I got on the phone and called my mother, and then she called friends and everybody. <laughs> you know, that's that's how everybody was able to watch it. But we all watched out for each other that way. The the one thing about the pages, you, you might think it was like, oh, well, everybody's trying to get a job in showbiz. They're all cutthroat, and they're, they're yeah. horrible people. But no, we <laughs> were like the best fraternity or sorority that you could ever be a part of everybody to this day mm -hmm. everybody is still really supportive of each other and i have mm -hmm. a, a core group of friends there's about 12 of us and mm -hmm. we get together about once a month uh you know to watch award shows or celebrate birthdays or you know go to our parents funerals mm -hmm. you know there's all of these life experiences we've had over four decades it's mm -hmm. it's really been a blessing to have known these people Mm -hmm. Did any of those people continue on in the industry or they just did the page thing and moved on in their lives? Some of them said, I don't want to be in showbiz anymore. <laughs> wow. um, because it isn't steady work all the time. And mm -hmm. um, even though we were in this rarefied atmosphere, not other jobs are as nice as working at NBC. And I think people kind of got burnt out with some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the people I worked with is named Peter Hammond, Pete Hammond. Mm -hmm. He writes for Deadline Hollywood. He's mm -hmm. very, very influential and very successful in the motion picture, reviewing, critiquing, promoting business. Uh, we've had uh, uh, Courtney Conti was the, was the CEO of, or COO of some of these companies like Carsey Warner. And he, he, he worked with Roseanne and Brett Butler and Sybil Shepard. And that's enough right there. Mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> Uh, a lot of people went into writing. A few people hmm. became actors. Um, uh, some went into like just w being um, uh, like what they call unit managers, like kind of, you know, working as a liaison between NBC and the production companies to make sure that the facilities were taken care of. Uh, Tommy Patino stayed on for, gosh, she did the Tonight Show and Jay Leno's version and then Conan's version and then Jay's again of the Tonight Show. <laughs> So yeah. some of them had been, some of them stayed on as lifers at NBC. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another question that kind of came across my mind because he's written a similar book, but you know, I don't know if, if you know this person, Herbie J. Pilato. I know Herbie. Okay. All right. Did you work Herbie together is, at the same time or? Not work together oh, at the same okay. time. Okay. Herbie is such a lover of television mm -hmm. and preserving the goodness of television mm -hmm. and um while his book is a very happy-go-lucky tale of working at nbc mine's a little darker <laughs> and uh mine's a little naughtier mm -hmm. there's there's a there's some sexy 
stuff in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Herbie and we run into each other every once in a while. And I have nothing but good things to say about Herbie. All right. All right. I didn't know if you worked together, but if you know him, that's, that's no, he's, that. he's a little younger than I am. Okay. <laughs> he's been on this podcast. So, you know, I think he was promoting, uh, actually, I kind of just talked about all his different books, you know, his uh, bionic uh, super uh, $6 million man, bionic woman. And book his Elizabeth and, Montgomery book. And that one, the bewitched and all those other ones. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, so he, we just kind of covered it all. So but that, that's kind of no, what I He's do. a really good guy. Yeah. And for people mm-hmm. who truly appreciate, those particular entertainers are like $6 million man. Um, I would urge them to get his books because he's very yep. thorough and he's very good at what he does. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to be on the show again, you can be, <laughs> I just haven't asked him again. Because uh, he has his new, uh, the, the, a new book out too. The a oh, retro TV book. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll reach yeah. out to Herbie. Sure. sure. All right. Thanks. Should I just, um, give, you, should I just <laughs> give you my Rolodex? Should yeah, I? Just... Yeah. <laughs> well you know it's kind of funny on this show i don't mind saying it live on the show it's like uh sometimes i'm like i have guest 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 and then sometimes i'm like uh who can i get on the show <laughs> you know? and it's like oh, yeah. you know and i had to reach out to this was a reach out to ben omart of bear uh-huh. manor media because i said you know you have writers all the time are writing about stuff that i talk about on this show all the time Send them my way. And then I got like inundated to like 12 people. You were one of them. And I go, ah, you know, which is great. You know, so now I'm booked for like the next couple months. But it's like, there's sometimes like, who am I going to get now? <laughs> you know, so Well, and and Adam's book is was through Bear Media. And I'm not sure if uh, Herbie has done books through Bear Media. I'm not sure if this last one yeah uh, was this but I, i'm fine if it's other publishers i, I am not uh, a stickler you know it's but like we all think yeah. in case ben's watching this yes. um, <laughs> we we, we kind of feel like charlie's angels because none of us have actually met him before but he sends us off into the literary world well he is in japan <laughs> well yeah but I, we don't zoom with him we don't facetime yeah. with him so um you know, it's like, you know, pay no attention to that man yeah. behind the curtain. We I know what he know. looks like. I'll say that. I've seen a photo. <laughs> anyway. Or have um, you. Or yeah, have so, you. Oh, that's true. <laughs> anyway, um, you brought up an interesting point, so I will go there. Um, so you said your book has a little bit more risque, dirty stuff. You don't have to go into that necessarily. But as an NBC page, were you asked to do or did you do things that were kind of above and beyond the normal call of duty and protocol? Well, <laughs> I personally had a lovely time with a few gentlemen that was consensual. Yes. And um, I, I detail one story that is very humorous. Um <laughs> We'll just call him the French fry guy. Um, <laughs> there's that one. Uh-huh. I have one where I thought I was having a wonderful, wonderful romance with somebody. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really good. And, and I named him Jake in the book because I couldn't put his real name down because he's a celebrity. Oh. <laughs> and when people say like, well, why'd you name him Jake? One, because I was trying to find a name my friends wouldn't guess. Mm-hmm. And two, while I was working on the book, there was that Jake from State Farm commercial on. <laughs> <laughs> that's him. <laughs> and I thought, Jake, that's a real neutral name. Okay, I'm going to uh, use Jake. Yeah. And, and, and to digress for a moment, um, the way I got the book title for my Peacock Tale, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm listening Saturday morning. Jack Hanna was was on talking about wild animals, and I'm you know typing away trying to do my little book and having noise on in the background, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing him talk about peacock's plumage, and I was at peacock tail, T A L E. And I immediately, I went to godaddy.com and I'm like, is that domain site taken? Is Instagram available? Is, you know, and I, and it was, and in 10 minutes I had everything wrapped up. Wow. That's how I got the title of my book. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I don't know if I do all the websites, but definitely when I write books, I definitely check. Does anybody use this title yet? And sometimes I got to change the title of my book. Yeah. Most of the time I'm like, all right, I grabbed it before anybody else did. Um, So, uh, but again, beyond, you know, romantic interludes and everything, were you ever asked to, you talked about the one where there was a little bit of the cocaine around or something like that. Were were you ever asked to do anything above and beyond the Call of Duty that might have been quasi illegal or anything like that? Or could you, were you free to say no at whatever you wanted to? I was always free to say no. Well, that's good. I didn't get involved in any of the drug culture that was, that was readily available at the time. Um, I did have what would now be labeled as a Me Too uh, moment with McLean Stevenson that got pretty scary. Mm. And uh, that was something that, um, you know, even though I was doing my job the same way the men were doing the job, um, I was perceived to have been different. And um, he had one of those buttons under the desk, you know, let's just start there. And it didn't go well after that. Hmm, interesting okay is that yeah. the book oh yeah okay i'll read in the book okay <laughs> there you go but leave read you the, read the, leave read the you viewers about, in suspense you, she read, can't read tell the part everybody. about french fry guy and and uh jake Moore because those are those right. are good Ooh, good all the juice <laughs> those are those are happy those are happy stories <laughs> okay <laughs> um Let's see. We mentioned Johnny Carson. Uh, you mentioned on your little video you showed Joan Rivers and you wrote her some jokes. Is that something you did? Is that right? Joan was very generous with the pages. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a, a couple people in in interviewing some of my colleagues for the book. I hadn't known at the time that they were submitting material to her, but she was doing Hollywood Squares quite frequently then. This was before Edgar passed away, so she wasn't right. the center square, but she would come on the show quite a bit and um i wrote some jokes for her and i wish i could remember them i can't but (laughs) she she liked one of them and i remember very specifically she said this one is good come back next week with more and then she pointed her finger at me she's come back (laughs) with more and um i i couldn't i couldn't think of things i was a little intimidated by it but um, a lot of the other pages did write jokes for Joan and she paid $7 a joke. Hmm. And then one of the pages actually showed me his contract from Joan that um, I, it was, it was very informal when I was doing it, but when I get, I guess she was doing more and more of this and her attorneys made people sign um, a base, a, like a, like a non-disclosure agreement back in the day that said, Joan owns this joke. You can't do this joke anywhere else. And if you mm-hmm. do, you'll be fined a certain amount of money. And it became a little more businessy. But yeah, my, Tommy Chasick showed me his contract for it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
you start selling the same joke to every performer and then like hey he's doing my joke <laughs> you know so <laughs> yeah I and mean, she and this was i think like the heidi abramowitz era of her comedy yeah so it was easy to write those kind of jokes rather than you know elizabeth taylor's so fat jokes you know? right. It was a, right it was a gentler time right but it was beyond her earlier housewife type jokes which yeah i think would be difficult to write to be honest but anyway <laughs> yeah she was starting to get a little racy at the time but but yeah. was but it was a uh a non a non it was a fictional persona that right. she was talking about rather than a real person okay um one other person you also show in the little video is paul mccartney and how does that fit in with everything or does it <laughs> well this <laughs> but this shows you how how well the pages bond with each other because even when some of us weren't working at NBC anymore, uh -huh. we could hit up on the other pages and got <laughs> like front row seats to the Tonight Show to see McCartney when he was on. I think it was his first time that he yeah. did the Tonight Show, and he did not disappoint. Uh, it must have been eighty four because uh, I mean he was on in the sixties with Lennon, but uh, Johnny wasn't the host, and that uh, would be New York. Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah it was the first time in burbank yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he was uh no he was lovely and mm -hmm. um one of the people got him the, he was you know a lot of people had memorabilia that they wanted paul to sign on the way out and yeah. and, and my friend steve who, uh who had dated one of the pages mm -hmm. uh he, he got a picture of um the church where lennon and mccartney had first met and he waved it in front of Paul and Paul that that caught his eye, you know, more than an mm -hmm. album cover or something. And mm -hmm. uh, and he reached for the picture. and He goes, that's me, church. <laughs> and he signed the picture and gave it and gave it to Steve. Oh. So uh, that was really nice. And then there was another a beetle brush with greatness. Um, one of the pages, Lisa. Mm -hmm. uh, and if she's listening, Lisa Lindsay Mattingly. Uh, <laughs> she was the person in charge of the studio when when Ringo was taping a special it was kind of a uh, a, a take on the prince and the pauper but oh yeah yeah it's on it's on YouTube but like Carrie yeah. Fisher's in it and John Ritter and it's mm -hmm. it's a weird little but we got to yeah. meet Ringo because yeah, it's cool og ognorats <laughs> yeah which is Ringo spelled backwards yeah yeah <laughs> so so Lisa was answering the phones at the studio and and this woman kept calling and calling, saying, um, put Ringo on the phone. He's my ex-husband. I have to talk to him. Uh, if you don't do it, I'll have your job. And finally, Lisa was like really scared at this point. So she knocked on Ringo's dressing room door and he says, your ex-wife's on the phone. And she said, if you don't come to the phone, she'll have my job. And Ringo <laughs> looked at her and said, darling, she couldn't do your job. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa went back and said, he said you couldn't do my job. Click. <laughs> Going back to Carson for a second, since you mentioned it again, um, do you know if that episode that you're on is available, like on streaming or anything nowadays? Because you know they've unearthed a lot of those old recordings in recent times. So I don't know if you've bothered to I look. I have <laughs> a copy of it. Okay. Because um, Johnny Carson's nephew, um, his first name is Jeff. Mm -hmm. Um, has been so kind and so cooperative about the book. Um, he's allowing me to use a brief clip if I'm promoting my book. Mm -hmm. And he gave me the whole thing in color, you oh, know, wow. which was really cool. But the picture, um, this will this will be a little 
a little, you know, writing a book 101. The picture on the front, it, it has Johnny Carson's signature. Right. That's on it. Yeah. So if you're if you're writing a book, you can't just say, oh, I physically have a photo of something. I'll put it in my book. Yeah. Because you unless you took that photo yourself or have a release for it. Yeah. You can't do that. And you could get sued for copyright infringement. Right. But because this picture is signed to Shelley, good luck, Johnny Carson. That's considered a gift because yeah. it has my name on it mm-hmm. and he signed it to me. So to confuse matters even more, <laughs> the Gilda Radner letter that's in the yeah. book. Yeah. I desperately wanted to use that letter, but even though she sent it to Pete, mm-hmm. Pete did not legally own that letter. That was Gilda's uh. property. So I'm thinking like, how can I use this letter? <laughs> and I reached out on Facebook to Alan Zweibel, who was her good friend and wrote a lot with Gilda, but bestest, bestest friends. Right. I said, you don't know me. This is what I want to do. This is the letter. Can you put me in touch with whoever controls Gilda's estate? Right. Ten minutes later, I have the private email address of Gilda's brother. Mm. And less than an hour later, I had a photo release so I could use that letter in the book. Cool. Okay. Because <laughs> I know there's that documentary called Love Gilda, and they showed similar things, like other diaries and letters that she wrote and i'm sure they got it all cleared for the documentary so i thought you know yeah i have a joan rivers i have a joan rivers letter in the book i got that cleared Mm -hmm. from her estate uh there's a johnny carson letter that was sent to one of the pages that's Mm -hmm. all cleared Mm -hmm. um but um you learn a lot right in the book i'll tell you (laughs) did you well know (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, one of the other people you mentioned, and I, I didn't know any details, but you mentioned Betty White earlier, but you mentioned Betty White's mom, Tess. What's the situation on that? <laughs> it's so sweet. I I, 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 I hate to like, I, I feel like I'm doing home movies here by doing this, but <laughs> That's okay. I was working as a college intern on the game show Liars Club. Mm. Uh, so again, being a page, going to college, doing a separate, doing a separate job to try to get my little three units of credit. But whenever Betty would be a guest on the game show Liars Club, which was hosted by Alan Ludden, her husband, mm-hmm. she would bring her mother, Tess, hmm. to the tapings. But before each of the tapings, the two of them together would go to the Elizabeth Arden Salon in Beverly Hills <laughs> And they'd both get their hair done the same way. And they'd get their nails polished and colored the same way, little pointy fingernails. And then I will attempt to show you this woman over here, the one with the mm-hmm. hairdo. That is Tess White. That is Betty White's mommy. Okay. And that's me over there. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought it was really cool that here's – a woman a professional woman like betty Mm -hmm. um doing like take your mom to work day Mm -hmm. and alan's there too her Mm son-in-law they had such a wonderful relationship like that 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 they all felt comfortable with that Mm. i I thought that was really sweet so they just had her in the audience she wasn't really doing anything per se yeah oh no no she wasn't (laughs) on she wasn't on the show itself got it okay four celebrities and and two civilians playing the game got it okay 
And one thing I uh, saw on there is you, you have hosted a show called The Battle of the Monster Trucks. <laughs> that and and Mudbog Spectacular. Do the full name now. Okay, Come whoops. on. <laughs> Come right. on. And Mudbog. Mudbogs? I didn't write that part down. Mud, what is it? Battle of the Monster Trucks and Mudbog Spectacular here Mudbog. on ESPN. All right. How did that come about? <laughs> I saw an ad in Daily Variety mm-hmm. that said they were looking for a motorsports co-host, female. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved IndyCar racing. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I thought, going straight to the top, baby, IndyCar racing. I'll be sitting in the pagoda. I'll be calling the races. It'll be great. Um, that wasn't it. <laughs> uh, but I showed up at the interview and I wore a real tight red jumpsuit and I had big hair. I mean, <laughs> if anybody's interested, it's on YouTube. They've got me on there. And uh and my red fingernails. Oh boy, was I sexy. Ooh. And um I was co-hosting with a man named Brett Kepner, who actually knows what he's talking about and uh, <laughs> is still really involved, like with drag racing and things like that. He's he's a great guy. And he mm-hmm. has a wicked sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated that too. So we would, it was like every other weekend, I would fly from the Los Angeles area to these different venues where they would have these mud bog shows and monster truck shows. And it would usually be in arenas where they would do football during part of the year, but the arenas were empty when it wasn't football season. So they needed something, you know, to bring the folks in. We did a Houston Astrodome and there was a, a, a Tampa Bay and I mean, really big places. It was, it was awesome. It was exhausting. And if you ever go to any of those monster truck shows or mud box spectaculars, <laughs> demolition derbies, um, just so you know, a lot of the dirt that they fill the stadiums with has a lot of manure in it. <laughs> so um, don't, don't wear your clothes that you, that you value and maybe wear like a slicker of some kind in case any of the mud gets on you. Yeah. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. You were an NBC fan. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, one last story that I, I wrote down, and I don't even know what it means, but it probably was on that video too. And then we'll kind of wrap up here. But um, you mentioned Red Fox and Frank Sinatra and Johnny Cash. I don't know if those are connected or maybe Fox and Sinatra were. I just wrote down their names. I'll tell the the Johnny Cash story is separate. Okay. And that one's a bit of a downer. And then I'll finish with the Sinatra story, which is an upper. How's that? Okay. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> My friend Jim McDonald is working as the page assigned to a Johnny Cash special. And um, again, the job is answering the phones, taking messages, being a liaison with the production company. And he gets a phone call and it's from the governor of Utah. And they are about to execute Gary. What's his name? Oh, my gosh. I'm <laughs> have to read my own book. Um, there's a guy that they're trying to execute. Shoot. And I mean, everybody that's listening right now to your show is going, she's such an idiot. She didn't read her own book. Gary Gilmore. <laughs> okay. I didn't open the whole book. I just was looking. Gary okay. Gilmore was about, and it was a big deal aside from being executed. It was mm-hmm. the first time they were executing somebody in the United States by firing squad. Wow. 
Uh, and it was his choice to do it that way rather mm -hmm. than a lethal injection or something else. So Jim answers the phone and the governor says that Gary Gilmore wants to talk to Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's a big no-no is when tape is rolling and a TV show is being taped, the only person who stops that is the director. Mm -hmm. But Jim went in there waving his arms and just like, stop tape, stop tape. And everybody's looking at him <laughs> and he whispers into Johnny's ear what's going on. Mm -hmm. And Johnny sets his guitar down on the stool and walked out into the hallway and got on the phone with him for about a half hour. And, talk to him. and it turns out the two of them had been praying together and this wasn't the first time they had spoken mm. and Johnny went back in and resumed taping and then when the time for the execution was going to take place Johnny Cash stopped tape mm. and had everybody like bow their head for like a moment of silence because they knew what was going on wow yeah I'm st I'm I'm hoping Gary Gilmore's the right name. I'm if it's not, I apologize. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Uh, but um, I'll tell you what. As I start telling the story, I'm going to about um, Gary Gilmore. I just saw it. Yes. Okay. So Very people, I'm, I'm not accusing some poor guy of being executed. <laughs> uh, the Sinatra story. Okay. There was an older woman, mid '80s, that would come to the taping of our shows quite a bit Sadie O'Sullivan mm -hmm. and she was um kind of a fireball herself uh she liked to go to Hollywood Squares and then we'd always save a seat for her there and then she liked Sanford and Son uh mm -hmm. Red Fox starred on that show right and uh there was a bunch of commotion going on at the Tonight Show on stage one and Sanford and Son was on stage three next door and she wondered what was going on and I said well Frank Sinatra's next door and she said, well, you know, Frank Sinatra bailed me out of jail once. And I said, oh, really? Do tell, Sadie. <laughs> and uh, she told the story about how she lived across the street from a venue that was having a luncheon for the American Nazi Party. And this would have been like in the 60s. Yeah. And although her last name is O'Sullivan, she married an Irishman, but she was a Jewish woman mm -hmm. and just could not fathom the idea of Nazis being in her neighborhood. So she went over there and she hit one of the Nazis with her purse and got sent to jail. So while she's being processed in jail, uh, they said, okay, Sadie, you're bailed out. And she goes, well, nobody knows I'm here. And she got a telegram that said, way to go, Sadie, love Francis Albert, hmm. Frank Sinatra. So she says, I never had a chance to thank him for that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I can't let this moment go by because I adored her and I knew Red Fox liked her too. He used to slip her money every once in a while. He kind of thought of her as a good luck charm. Mm -hmm. And at the time, if if people remember, Red Fox and NBC kind of had a strained relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> John Carson got a big window in his office. Red Fox wanted one in his and had a sick out until he got one. Uh, so they <laughs> they treated him like a Fabergé egg. So yeah. when perky little Shelly goes and knocks on his door, <laughs> um, he wasn't really expecting to see me. He thought it might be like, you know, a director telling him to go out and go to work. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked at Red and I didn't know him. And I said, 
hi, do you know Frank Sinatra? And he goes, yeah. I said, do you guys get along? Yeah. So I told him the Sadie story and he held up taping of Sanford and Son and went out, got Sadie, brought her back to the green room at the Tonight Show mm-hmm. so that she could thank Frank. Mm. And uh, and I and I said, so Sadie, did you get Frank's autograph? And she goes, no, no, no. I knew Red had to get back to work. I didn't want to take up too much time. Mm. So Red went back and did the show and Sadie was sitting there in the audience watching. So I Ooh. kind of I kind of like those little moments that we could do is you know little brush with greatness moments yes <laughs> that's a good story i'll, I'll say yeah. we'll leave it there and a good story like you said um one question though uh any more books uh in your future uh or is this a one and done what do you feel it's not one and done but i'm setting my sights on trying to see if somebody might want to turn it into a tv series hmm. and of course the minute the book was at the publisher all of these pages start coming out of the woodwork um i i got uh something today from a guy named hank Barr, who was uh it, it, there in 74 and he started telling me stories mm. and i'm like so i have a lot more stories to tell and um if you kind of think of the book kind of like sex in the city meets mad men <laughs> it, 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 it's, good. <laughs> it's 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 set in the 70s it, it was it was kind of fun kind of naughty kind of exciting kind of heady mm-hmm. and um and it's and it's told from a female point of view it's not it's not mm-hmm. a boy trying to make it in showbiz it's a girl trying to make it in showbiz right. <laughs> so um hopefully you haven't heard the last of me very cool and as far as promotion for the book, uh, are you doing any upcoming shows? I mean, I know you probably do other podcasts. Uh, you know, I know you did the Johnny Carson podcast and things like that. I saw yeah, that. Mark, Ma- Mark Malkoff's yeah. podcast. If if people want to hear hear history from a lot of different horses' mouths, um, <laughs> I can I can recommend Mark Malkoff. Um, his he does a great show. Yeah. Um, by the time this airs, I will have done several uh, book signings. Okay. And um and a few other podcasts, none as wonderful as this one, of course. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I know that. Uh, but if people want to reach me, I would love to answer any questions people have or or anything okay. like that. Is my peacocktail at gmail.com. I'm it's mm-hmm. tail T-A-L-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website, which has all those glorious pictures on it, and I and I blog on it also, uh, mm-hmm. mypeacocktail.com. And if you want me to come over and read the book to you, I can do that too. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll set a date like the dating game. There you go. (laughs) Did I I fulfill your fun quotient? Yes. (laughs) Very much. Okay. Um, You mentioned uh, more personal appearances, but they'd be done by this air. Well, it's not that far. Anything in the spring or summer that's coming up that you want wanted. I want to try to get to New York. Um, in the spring and and i will and certainly things will be posted um on my website but i i have a a really good friend of mine mark summers who uh was the host of double dare and i worked with him writing game shows and um he's he's like an amazing guy he's 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 so dirty off camera i can't even tell you (laughs) but um He's doing a one-man show in New York that opens on Valentine's Day and is supposed to run till June. Okay. And I'd, I'd love to get back and see him do the show and 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 do some book signings while I'm back there too. Very cool. 
Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Shelley Herman, for being my thank special you. guest. The book, again, is called My Peacock Tale. My Life is an NBC Page. Is that the correct subtitle? I can't see it. <laughs> it's Secrets. My Peacock Tale, Secrets, Secrets of an NBC Page. <laughs> okay. Ooh. And it's available from Bear Manor Media, and uh, you can order your copies. It's probably through Amazon, through Bear, Barnes & Noble, and through their website, of course. So. Yeah, I, you could certainly order through Amazon, but if you want to support your local bookstores, please order it through them. Yes. All right. Well, again, thank you for being my guest today, Shelley Herman, and uh, we will see you next time on the Fun Ideas Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Shelley Herman, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 250 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2024. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. (laughs) 